Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the show. On this episode of the podcast, we will be discussing everything Henry McKenna. We'll go through the history of the distillery, current news, and of course, my and Andy's personal favorite aspect of the show, the tastings. And with me, of course, as always, is my intrepid and brilliant co-host, Andy Kleschik. Andy, how are you doing on this fine Saturday afternoon? Eh, not bad. Um <clears throat> Can't complain too much. I mean, it's finally kind of starting to get a little bit cold here in Cincinnati. Oh yeah, finally dropping into the thirties. We're we've I think got our one of our first snows of the year, at least of twenty twenty one. Getting some flurries, real yeah, real light dusting. I feel like we're not. I feel like Cincinnati doesn't get much snow anymore. No, not at all. I mean, the last one. I mean, last night it was at least my place. It was like five like five minutes of snow, like yeah. heavy snow. And it was like just nothing. Minutes, and then it stopped. Yeah. That's what we got yeah. here. Yeah. Last night I, um, yeah, so I was excited. Uh, this was a big week for, um, you know, for the daily wire. It's a big, uh, I'm actually trying to apply for positions at nice. their job. Cause they've actually moved from Los Angeles to Na- Nashville because of the COVID lockdowns. Yeah. And I'm looking, they actually have a recruiter position open at the company and they have a, um, they have like a writer slash remote recruiter or no, no, it's in Nashville. Right. So it's, and then there's a writer slash recruiter position available that I'm also eyeing. Um, and, and I've been a fan for a while. And of course that's a long shot and probably won't actually happen, but it's, yeah. you know, whatever. Worth, Got to at least try. try. And then, but you know, one of the things that's exciting, they've actually, they have so many new jobs open because well, they're transitioning into a new facility, which of course I would have never applied if they were going to still be out in LA. Like I'm not moving that far away. Nashville, I think you can get in like four and a half hours if you're, you know, pedal to the metal. Four and a half, five hours. Yeah. I've heard most people do. Yeah. Depends. You know, I'll try to get, I pretty much going to go 85 the whole way and get there in four hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, um, they, uh, it's just kind of exciting. They're kind of getting into some new areas and just to touch on it real quickly, they released a daily wire original movie uh, this, oh, really? this weekend. And I was like, okay, conservative company making a movie. I've seen this before. It typically doesn't turn out very well. You know, you've got the like, I spoke to God, you know, conservative movies type deals and they're, and they're never good movies. They're like rated G and it's just like they t- tank at the box office. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to watch it just kind of see. I was very skeptical and it was a very, and the movie they released was was exceptional. Very, very well done movie. And actually the premise was it takes place, uh, the whole premise of the movie takes place at a, at a, at a high school shooting. It's like a high school oh, mass right. shooting. And it's like this one girl, the main character, uh, kind of in almost like a horror movie type style is basically trying to take off. It's like take like Die Hard style. It's like uh, taking uh. out the bad guys. It's It really actually reminded me a lot of Die Hard. Instead of instead of Christmas and Bruce and a man. It's a school shooting. It's, it's a school shooting. Yeah, and at, at an office Christmas party, it's at a school shooting. And it's it's like a really a hostage situation. They're not just like going through and shooting everyone. They have like a bigger master plan. They do shoot a few people, but it's more like they have them hostage and they're like, of course. it's a hostage situation. And she's yeah. t- t- taking them off one by one. But really, really good movie. It's called um, it's called Run Hide Fight. Really well made. When um, you know you think conservative, it, it's really there are tons of language, lots of violence. There's not like really politics being pushed at all from either side, uh, and it was just really well done. It was one of the better movies I've seen in 2021. Granted, it's very early, but uh, the movie was really good. So if you want to see it, and honestly, it's one of the first movies I've ever seen about a mass shooting at a at a high school, which is something that is now a, a, very much a reality. Seems a regular occurrence, right? So um, yeah, so if you're someone who's ever experienced that, maybe it might be a little. Uh, harsh, but I think to kind of 
put in the minds of people like what you know it's very realistic what those types of situations are like and to be made in a really high quality way it was, it was really interesting really good movie it you, you know your heart's going to be pounding you're going to be on the edge of your seat if you're looking for some entertainment i highly recommend checking it out not just because a conservative huh. company made it but because it, it is a damn good movie and i was really surprised by that fact um anyways that's just kind of what i've been at they've been pushing it all week and i watched it last night and it was really good and and you and I are big TV and movie buffs, and, and, and we're thinking we've even talked about doing a, a movie or TV cult, you know, pop culture podcast one day. We've done Game we've of kind of done it, yeah. We've done already. Game of Thrones episodes on We've Heard of Both Ways, so we're really much you know in in that realm. And with all the COVID stuff, there hasn't been a lot of big uh, movie releases, so it was kind of refreshing to Out- see something yeah. like this outside of releasing them on you know streaming platforms at video least. Yeah, on demand. but even with the video on demand releases, like Tenet came out, but other than Tenet. There really haven't been a what, lot of big Wonder time Woman, movies. Yeah, Wonder Woman which came out. I have not seen. I've heard I, it kind of tanked. Yeah, I it heard was bad things about it. Not as good as the first one that yeah. Gal Gadot was that's, in. That's what I heard as well. So, you know, just for everyone, no matter what how you know what your beliefs are, there just haven't been a lot of high quality entertainment as far as new movies. And you know, like the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is one of my favorite TV shows. That was that, that was supposed to have a new season this December. That didn't happen because of COVID. So, other than going back and watching old stuff, it's it's hard to find high quality entertainment right now, movies, TV, otherwise. So it was really nice to just to see that. Um, but anyway, let's dive on right in. I'm going to go ahead and pour us yeah. up a drink here of the 10-year uh, Henry McKenna. And Andy, why don't you, while I pour this drink, why don't you go ahead and dive right in and tell every, everyone out there what they need to know about Henry McKenna. Of course. So this is a brand kind of off and on. Um, I forget if they're owned by somebody else at this point, but it's a brand that um, has been around for about 150 70-ish years in some way, shape, or form, if you will. Um, It was originally, if you will, founded in 1855 by the namesake Henry McKenna, who was an Irish immigrant um, who back in about 1819, 1820, um, and settled in, I think, kind of what is now Kentucky, and originally only started up creating a flour mill, which kind of suits making a distillery at a later point because some of the things that you use in flour, um, you you know, grains and everything, you also use in bourbon. But it's a brand that kind of has always a little bit flown under the radar. Uh, Starting out, kind of, it was something that intentionally flew under the radar a little bit, if you will, just because they were only turning out about a barrel a day at their start and that i think when i was looking at it that's kind of all they wanted to do was do like one to two barrels a day which you know will produce a few hundred bottles but very low-key though yeah very very low-key not something that you see most major brands doing uh, anymore at least and you know and that was only up until about the 1880s though when they ended up moving, uh, Henry McKenna and his family ended up moving business, or at least some of the operations, to Louisville and Market Street there to meet a little bit more demand. And at that point, then expanded to a whopping total of three barrels of bourbon a day. Wow, uh, really ex- expanding drastically, yeah, what, making like, aggressive moves here. Yeah, way, way big shocker, like you're making big moves. Oh, You know, I mean, not... For the time, it was something that, you know, still could be making a lot. Um, right. I want to but, interrupt you real quick here. Andy, cheers. Yeah, I forgot. Cheers. Henry McKenna, baby. Oh, it's a good one. 
Yeah. Very um very good bourbon. Mm-hmm. I always love the bottled and bond bourbons. We're actually going to be doing another bottled and bond bourbon next week that I'm very excited about. Yeah. Um, but those bottled and bonds always they always live up to the hype for me. For the most part, and, yeah. And um, you know, it, it's it's interesting because uh, Henry McKenna, like you said, has been flying under the radar for a very long time. It, it not too long ago, I forget the exact year, maybe 2019, it won Whiskey of the Year. I think it was 2018 or 2019 uh, in Jim Murray's book, at least one Whiskey of the Year. Yep. Uh, which kind of helped put it on the map a little bit at the San more Francisco World Spirits Awards. Uh, one Whiskey of the Year out of all okay. the whiskeys in the entire world. Uh, this was named number one, and of course. No, it was very much had been flying under the radar, like you mentioned, and then it won this award, and people who like this whiskey are like, oh my God, we're never going to be able to find this again. How are we ever going to be able to find it? And it is very it is very difficult to find. I was very excited when I got my hands on a bottle, and yeah. that's why we're doing this episode. Um, but, you know, it definitely lives up to the hype. It's like a $35 bourbon, and, and I think, it, yeah, 2018, 2019, whiskey of the year, you know, really impressive stuff. Yeah, and I mean, normally... Normally, I haven't been able to find their 10-year bottled and bond as much anymore. I've only really able to been uh, finding their uh, their Sour Mash one. Mm. Normally, at the places I shop, at least. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's nice that we got this bottle. And it was, like you said, it, they kind of have always flown under the radar. Um, up until, if you kind of will, something that in 1892 kind of led to what ended up becoming the bottled and bond act in 1897. Uh, McKenna tried to introduce the, what was called the McKenna bill or what he called the McKenna bill, which in summary basically allowed for an unlimited bonding period, uh, on whiskey and bourbon, uh, warehouses for aging. So, that's something that's kind of very, very good for them and paved the way, like I said, for that Bottle and Bond Act of 1897, where if you, it, it sets some very, very strict requirements for how you have to distill and age at least bourbon in American uh, bonded warehouses. Yep. Go back to our, I believe it was our new riff episode, maybe. I we, think so. we went really in depth into the bottle and bond process and what that entails. Go back and listen to some of the old episodes. We're not going to dive too in depth in this one or in next week's. Um, but we have we have gone very much in depth in the whole bottle and bond proce- process and what that yeah. entails and what those requirements, uh, you know, you know what you have to do to meet those requirements as a whiskey. Of course, yeah. Um, and shortly after this kind of tragedy befell the distillery a little bit because Henry McKenna himself died in a year after introducing the McKenna bill in 1893, uh, leaving the operations to his sons, at least up until prohibition, because they were one of, you know, how many countless brands in America that did not either did not, or were unable to obtain a license to distill whiskey for medicinal purposes. Uh, but up in, in, during that time period, in between 1893 and the start of Prohibition, his sons, they shut down the distilling side of the brand. And basically everything they already had in barrels and everything, they then transitioned to Stetzel Weller, which is another big um, uh, another big distiller, distillery there, or at least aging warehouses there in Shively, Kentucky. Um where, you know, I think we discussed at least with Weller and at least with, I think, Bullet as well. You can find some brands 
at least aging there. I know Blade and Bow comes out of there. Bullet has their tours there. Are you talking about Heaven Hill? What? Are you talking about Heaven Hill Distillery? No, Stitzel Weller Distillery. Stitzel Weller, I got you. Uh, the, the distillery. And they had, they've had several other famous lines come through there at various points. Uh, gotcha. Of course, Weller, I think Van Winkle's, like we've discussed before. But at that point, kind of, they, like I said, they decided to just shut down the distilling operations and focus solely on just aging their remaining bourbon stocks at, at Stitzel Weller and then bottling and, um, them for them. So Stitzel Weller kind of just said, well, we'll provide you a nominal fee um, or we'll take, you know, a percentage of your sales and a nominal fee per case we bottle um, for allowing you to do this on our premises, um, which that, that I forget what their bottling fees were, but their per case commissions um, for selling it was a dollar per case, which, you know, now doesn't seem like much, but, you know, in the 1890s to early 1900s was a decent amount of money. Uh, I don't know what that is, what that translates into in real dollars now. It's but about $1,000 in 2020 really? money. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's a decent amount of money then charging at that point f- to do that. Uh, and then, of course, then Prohibition started. So they really couldn't do anything. Like I said, they they have no, they did not obtain one of the uh, very very selective and pricey uh, licenses to distill whiskey from ind- only medicinal purposes uh, at that time. But then after, I think they were within two to three years after prohibition ending, they reopened distilling operations. At their uh, old Fairfield, lo- Fairfield, Kentucky location, uh, distilling equivalent of about twenty barrels per day capacity, with about eight thousand uh, barrel aging capacity at a time. Yeah, I gotta jump in real quick. I uh, have to correct myself. It's not a thousand dollars equivalents. That was saying if you had a one dollar bill from eighteen ninety, it would be uh, worth a thousand dollars today. The actual spending power of one dollar uh, in 1890 compared to what it would be in 2021 is about is about thirty two dollars. Okay, so yeah, so it seems much more reasonable. Yeah, much much more reasonable. I mean, charging you know f- about thirty thirty five bucks to um, case you know six to twelve bottles of bourbon yeah. is not too bad. I I think at least I don't know, but yeah, absolutely, it's not absolutely outrageous, uh, and. That that aging capacity that they had there that lasted until they uh, about the early forty early to mid forties right out right about middle to end of World War Two when they uh, sold the Seagrams or at least what is now Seagrams um, operations the kind of the corporate Seagrams um, and who did much of their uh, kind of corporate overlords reign making Henry McKenna as um, become the product uh, destined for blends and other brands such as Four Roses or Seven Crown at the time. So that kind of started a trend for them when they sold to Seagram's of being sold, like we've said with a few other brands uh, previously that we've talked about, where they'll 
they'll get sold to a corporate overlord and then like change hands multiple different times throughout the years and uh, decades and it kind of allowed allowed them to distill but it kind of wasn't really under the mechanic name it was just ending up in other products that seagram's owned at the time to my knowledge at least that was kind of what happened and then seagram's actually owned them for about 40 years ended up selling them at least domestically sold off the rights to seagram's or to um Henrik McKenna to Heaven Hill in the early 80s, but kept the rights to Henry McKenna, however this even works, I don't know, to um, international markets so they could at least sell it. So Seagram's was like selling at least to international markets while Heaven Hill was aging, bottling, doing everything for domestic market. However that works, like I said, I don't know. I don't understand that, but whatever happened happen there right personally i'm not crazy about heaven hill as like that specific bourbon but they have an extremely impressive portfolio if you look yeah. at all of it of course they've got the original heaven hill they've got henry mckenna they also, elijah have, they also have elijah craig larceny um a couple other really impressive you know other solid yeah. bourbons as well like i said very impressive portfolio there's no yeah. there's no doubt about it the, yeah they have they have some good entry level one entry level bourbons as well as some other good mid-tier bourbons, uh, like you say, Elijah Craig. Some of those ones there I actually like. Right. I like to always, of course, jump in with uh, aesthetic appeal of the of the actual facilities and of the distilleries. Not crazy about Heaven Hill Distillery as far as an aesthetic standpoint. From the outside, it basically looks like a prison. Like an it's old, not the like most an, like an old, Yeah, like an old school prison. Inside, it's actually very nice. It's almost a little too corporate for my taste, actually, though. Like big boardrooms and things like that as far as the, um, you know, as far Facilities, as like the visitor yeah. centers yeah. and things like that. Uh, nice, uh, like museum type area. Uh, you looked great on the inside, uh, like skin a little, maybe a little corporate for my taste, but I, I think it's still really impressive. I also have a, I, I can't crap on it too hard because I do have a close personal connection in, in a sense to, uh, Heaven Hill Distillery, a good friend of mine at work, actually, uh, she, in her previous uh, profession, she actually ended Worked up designing there. the gift shop for Heaven Hill. Oh, wow. Um, so you guys, Lucky I, her. yeah, right. So I highly recommend you go, uh, take a look at the gift shop. Um, take it, take, you know, just look, cause you know, it's really is nice. That's definitely less corporate and more down to earth bourbon esque, uh, what you would expect out of, uh, you know, a place in a facility like that. Um, very classy, but also, you know, kind of modern, but it doesn't lose the roots at all. I, I highly recommend you check it out. I highly recommend you go check out the actual facility and gift shop because it is, yeah. it is very nice. Even though yeah. you're going to look like you're going to feel like you're driving into a prison when you're in the parking lot. <laughs> Well, with some of these operations, it kind of always feels a daunting task to go there when you see all the buildings there um, and all the aging warehouses and everything. It looks very daunting. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, like you said, semi-unassuming, kind of semi-prison-like everything there. And up until the, up until this point, as far as I've seen, Henry McKenna is still owned by Heaven Hill. They're still producing good bourbons um, and everything, as far as I can see. Uh, between, like I said, in the early 80s, uh, Heaven Hill took them over. And then in about 1995-ish, that's when they released their 10-year-old Bottled and Bond, which is the one that we have today. Yep. Um, and then they also have a single-barrel expression that was released at about the same time. 
during that during that kind of resurgence of Henry McKenna as a brand now. Uh, and that's kind of been since about 95. So for about the past 25, 30 years has kind of been the Henry McKenna resurgence, if you will, just with all their products and everything. And most of their products are all about an eight, to, as far as I've seen, are all about an eight to 10 year old product, all in within about five to 10 proof of this, uh, about a hundred proof roughly as far as I can find. And their mash bill is very corn heavy. It's a 78% corn, 12% malted barley and 10% rye. So heavy on the, heavy on the corn. Yeah. Very heavy on corn. Surprisingly a little bit heavier on the, uh, heavier on the malted barley than I've ever seen and very light on the rye. I mean that, that's surprising for me. Because normally when I see it, like, even if it's a high corn, typically I've always seen most bourbons be secondary grain in terms of at least percentages in the mash bill. Um, the second one is normally heavy rye. But they found a way at least to make, and I think that's for this is for all their products, uh, for all their different bourbons that they offer, which is not bad. I mean, it tastes very, very good. Um I, you know, it's, it's something that they've done a good job of making. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're going to go ahead and do the test taste test here in a minute, folks. So go ahead and pour yourself a pour of the, uh, Henry McKenna 10 year, uh, bottle and bond, uh, bourbon. And we're going to go ahead and see based on everything, how it stacks up. All right, folks, we are ready to dive right on into the tasting. I hope you have yourself a glass poured. Otherwise this won't make a whole lot of sense for you. But you can, of course, just still go ahead and yeah. listen along. All right, we're going to dive right in. Let's start with the nose. I get a very, very oak forward smell on it. A little bit of the grain on there. It's kind of a, like a sweet, like sweet oaky yeah, I'm smell getting, to me yeah. that I get. I'm getting like a vanilla oak type scent. Yeah. Absolutely. Which I mean, I mean that that I'm getting a little bit of like light leather as well, like almost like, like almost get, like a very 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 light new car smell kind of like I, yeah I could I, that's actually kind of a decent way of saying it if like you like charred like if you got like a luxury car with like wood um, accents on it like if you charred the wood yeah, accents yeah like it that's kind of I kind of get what you're saying and with threw that in like a little sweetness like a little vanilla sweetness. See, I don't get it as vanilla sweetness. I really? I get the sweetness more of like what you'll smell in like a new make, where it's very very corn sweet. I don't okay. get the the depth of the vanilla you. that you're getting, but it's like a car. It's like a light. Differ. A lot of the fl- a lot of the scents are very light, but I am noticing multiple of them. Like the the light, like the like the sweetness. I'm getting like a caramely vanilla type mix, I, but they're both really really light I, scents. And then I'm getting a lot of oak as well. I get a little bit leathery, of a leathery oak. Yeah, I get a little bit of like a tobacco sweetness there as well. Now that I kind of smell it again, like if it, like you aged tobacco in a used bourbon barrel, it is very light and inviting, but still has a little bit of like attitude, if you will. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys, let's jump on on in and see how it tastes. Very smooth. Yeah, very smooth. I feel like the the palate and the, the the palate very much lines up with the with the nose. 
Yeah. I, I didn't a lot of this, I get a, I'm getting a lot of same notes in the palate that I got uh, in the nose. I'm still getting a lot of oak, really a lot of oak, a lot of vanilla still as well. I'm getting a little bit of that like really rye spice, which is funny because it's not heavy on rye at all, but it, I'm getting a spice, like a, like a spicy brown yeah. sugar, like a burnt brown sugar spice at the end. Yeah, um, I get a little bit of that rye. It I, definitely hangs on the tongue for a while and, and, and it's, very has some spicy oak, but it's still very sweet in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I, I, for the most part, I have to agree with you there. I definitely get that oaky flavor there. You it's, get that spicy burn at the end, a, but it really bit, is. Yeah. It's not a long. It's not a long, you know, burn. It's it's very balanced and tapers off pretty quickly. And yeah, just I think it it brings you want, it makes you want more almost the way it fa- it fades very quickly, but still is very bold at the same time. No, yeah, definitely, I'd agree. It it's 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 a good entry level product that's not going to in my opinion, knock your socks off while at the same time is not going to be underwhelming. Yeah. See, I have to disagree slightly on it. I don't think, I I think it's a very, um, I think it's an exceptional bourbon. It's going to, it's going to, I think it's very, very good. You're going to be happy with it. You're going to be impressed with it. The price point is 100% great. I love it at the price. Because it won that, you know, world whiskey award, it's going to be harder to find than what it's maybe actually what the quality is, you know, where, where the quality is actually based. It's going to be a little harder to find than what the, where the quality actually stands. Yeah. Because yeah. I believe it's a very good bourbon, but as far as oh, yeah. difficulty to find, probably is not quite living up to the hype. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think quality, yeah, I have to agree with you. Quality doesn't quite live up to the hype, but I think at the price point blows a lot of other bourbons out. Out of the market, absolutely, and you and it's really you know you can't go wrong with it. If, you, if yeah. you get your hands on it or you see it, you should absolutely buy it. Yeah, try and get your hands on it for you or somebody who are, that you know that appreciates bourbon. Absolutely. All right, any any final thoughts on the week or just on Henry McKenna in general? Um, no, I mean the only thing I would say is very historic brand. It's one that's, in my opinion, is a good daily drinker. Uh, if you can find it regularly, yeah. If, if you can find it regularly, it's a good daily drinker that is well worth the price. Alrighty, folks, that's it from us here at the podcast. Make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're at all of them. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, share your uh, you know your experience, and of course share our episodes and podcasts on your social media platforms. And leave a review, of course, for distilled discussions. And because, uh, of course, we do appreciate all positive and negative feedback as well. Uh, and we just appreciate all support in general. Have a great week. Thank you so much. Pour yourself another whiskey. And don't worry, America. We'll be here to drink with you next week.